Must be like the Wolf Pack, not like Six Pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams. Uh, it's about being in teams. It's about leading teams. It's about generally getting the most out of your team. Uh, I am Mark Johnson. I'm a performance maker and a performance teacher, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in pod sports coach, Sean Gallagher. Hello, Sean. Hello, Mark. How are you doing today? I'm very well. Very well. Uh, I would love to dive deep into what you have been doing this week but uh, we've just started half term so I'm not going to talk work. Awesome yeah no I think we've got so much in this episode that we should just get straight into it Um, and uh, yeah get into today's episode. Wicked so just before we do that teams are awesome teams are excellent collaborations the way forward and on that note we are going to be talking to Jamie Anderson from Diversity Travel. Uh, so let's jump straight over to Jamie. So we are uh, really happy to introduce to our listeners uh, our guest today. We've got Jamie Anderson. Jamie is head of marketing and communications for an organisation called Diversity Travel based out of Manchester. Hello, Jamie. How are you doing? Hey, how are you guys? Very well, thank you, Jamie. Super glad to have you on. Thank you for joining us on this uh, very early, cheers, Sean, Saturday morning. (laughs) (laughs) It kept him out of the bars last night. It's true. He should be thanking me. So I've given the briefest introduction I can. Um, Perhaps, Jamie, you would like to give us a little bit more info about yourself, what you do, and uh, kind of how you got to where you are today. Yeah, of course. Well, firstly, thanks for having me. It's a a real honour to be asked on, and um, I hope people find me a little bit interesting. I didn't think I was that interesting, but sometimes when I talk about the things that I've done, I'm like, oh, that was actually quite cool. So, um, (laughs) yeah, I started uh, life wanting to be a musician, actually. I went to university and studied music, and... Kind of got to the end of it, I was like, hmm, not sure what I'm going to do now. And I joined British Airways as a reservations assistant, like just basically taking phone calls in a call centre for people that wanted to book flights and stuff like that. And uh, I got a bit of a travel bug. I was like, oh, this this is actually quite cool. So I ended up staying there a lot longer than I thought and progressed into the marketing teams and you know got to work on some really incredible things and really cut my teeth at an organisation, a global organisation like that, a, like a really well-known brand. Um, and I do look back on those days fondly. And then recession hit uh, in 2008 and I moved on to um, from planes to trains. I went over to Great Western Railway and again, did some really incredible things there. Rebranded it um, from first Great Western to Great Western Railway and was part of a really incredible team. And I'll talk a little bit more about that, that team uh, later because it was one of mm. those kind of points that, um, you know, where I kind of felt the most value in having a team. So yeah. um, I think that would be one I'll probably talk about in a bit. And then got the opportunity to move into TV. So I moved, up, moved, over, moved over into the TV world for a little bit. I moved into Discovery Channel um, and worked on Travel Channel and Food Network and got to travel around even more, kind of filming TV shows around the world with some really cool people. And then was made redundant. So again, a bit of a resilience bit. And then I found myself here in Diversity Travel. So very whistle-stop tour of what I've done. But I've, yeah, I have been really um, lucky to work with some incredible brands and incredible people along the way, um, which I guess is... It, you know, they're the bits you forget. Sometimes you just kind of get on with it. And yeah, here I am kind of talking to you guys, Head of Marketing and Communications at Diversity Travel, yeah. Amazing. And I'm going to I'm gonna speak just a little bit of that because as as listeners know, Sean and I work in a a sick form where we send people off to university. And that kind of, there is something that you described that I also felt as someone who trained as an actor. I didn't really know once I decided not to act, what I was going to be able to do with the skills that I'd learned. Mm. But it meant that I managed to do a bunch of really different and strange things that I wasn't really clocking up as achievements. But then when you describe them in a row, I rebranded First Great Western to Great Western Railways (laughs) is a a pretty big deal. You look back at it and I'm like, Actually, that was quite a big deal. And hands up, it was a team effort, total team effort. You know, it wasn't a single-handed job, but, you know, to just to be part of that and to be part of those initial discussions around the why. Why mm. are we going to go on this journey around, you know, we know that this brand is fundamentally broken or, you know, has issues, he, historical issues, and how do you make people feel better about something? And, yeah, we went on that journey. It was And it was a real team effort across lots of different functions. But, yeah, I was just happy to be 
you know you know a small part of of delivering that so yeah J- jamie did you have um like external people come in and very kind of voodoo <laughs> type uh people coming in and the consultant and the consultant <laughs> because you know we we've interestingly had our had our little uh, experience of that uh or it's definitely mine um and it was a it was an interesting one lots of photos and what do these photos make you feel <laughs> um so yeah what was there that or was it very just internal no so i mean marketing and brand people we work with externals all the time whether it's brand agencies you know marketing communications agencies all sorts of different agencies so we're used to working with external people but yeah there was definitely a really really well respected um brand agency called pentagram who've done some incredible work and we were so lucky to for them to come in and kind of consult and try and pick at the bones of what we were trying to achieve and ultimately deliver an incredible brand um, that you know I, i'm really proud of so yeah we did but totally kind of a team extension and it's interesting actually just to, to pick up on that whenever a consultant or you're working with an agency certainly if you're in a marketing kind of skill set an agency should always be an extension of your team it should never be us and them they should be there to yeah. make your life easier and kind of help you deliver ultimately the the objective that you've set out to achieve so for me i always kind of see it as a as a as a, an extension of the team and it, it luckily for me i've worked with really great agencies and they've always de- delivered that so that agency relationship is such a, a unique collaboration and gets utilized so much for you as someone who's been internal on those kind of campaign big changes yep. what is what is for you the the greatest value in that relationship in the addition of an agency to the team i think the, the the whole point of an agency is they they're experts they're real experts mm. in their subject matter and as marketeers we're kind of quite generalist you can specialize but certainly in the roles that I've had I've always gone for those kind of broad stroke marketing roles that encompass lots of different um, yeah skills. real day to day that's it yeah you can, you know I'm a creative person I could still get involved creatively but I needed that expert skill set. Mm. It's expensive if you wanted to recruit a lot of people to do that internally. So the agency is just a really kind of cost-effective model, but actually they're experts in what they do. So it's, it's is there a value in their perspective as well in the fact that they are look coming at it with a little less reverence or maybe a little less baggage yeah. for travel companies <laughs> use baggage. Oh, yeah, no, no, <laughs> oh, hey. nice. Uh, yes, <laughs> it's um. It is. It's a fresh pair of eyes. It's it's a pair of eyes that have been, are basically reading something on a, a brief. You know, you, as a marketeer, we should write great briefs. That's why we know what, why we're doing mm. what we're doing. And they're basically coming in without any baggage, as you say, and giving their opinion in, in terms of how they think we should deliver a campaign or a rebrand or a new website or whatever it might be that the project is. So yeah, they do. They offer that and much more. You know, I'm I'm really thankful to have worked with massive globally recognized agencies down to really small independent agencies that mm. have done some really great work. And actually at British Airways, the first point of which I got exposed to agencies was uh, BBH London, which is a huge, huge agency. Yeah, the like, big, biggest in the world yeah, at like, some points. Yeah. yeah, they created the Levi's campaign, you know, back in the day and the Audi, you know, the, the really wow. famous kind of campaigns. And I, my first step, so British Airways put me through like a marketing 101 course, which is really great of them back then. You wouldn't be able to do that now, I don't think. And I had to pitch to the head of BBH agency. So I'm like this like young guy, not really knowing what marketing is, <laughs> just kind of kind of get quick. And, and I go in and, and he sat there and honestly, I've never felt so nervous in my entire life, but I've got this huge respect for the work that they do. And, yeah. it, you know, I still, I'm a bit of a marketing geek and I love looking at new campaigns and kind of reading campaign uh, magazine and stuff and seeing what's happening. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I was exposed at a really low level to a really high flying uh, agency expert. And, you know, I've always had a great respect for them ever since then, really. In, in at the deep end straight away, Jamie. Yeah, literally. I was, I was, I was going to say, um, just going back to bringing in those external people, I think it speaks to the culture of the, the organization. If you are having them as an extension of, of your organization and i think that takes you know that takes you you have to think about that like you have to decide that you're going to do that rather than just having them write their external they'll be here for three months whatever it may be and then off they go it's like a conscious decision within your company to decide we want them to be part of that 
did you have discussions around that? Because also I think there's an ego side of it as well. Mm. Well, to me anyway, because you're basically passing over expertise to someone else, which sounds very common sense. But I think in a lot of teams and in a lot of industries... It's not easy to take that critique, is it? Yeah, we don't always ask the expert in that field about it. So were there conversations around around that? I think there's always going to be... Um uh clashes i think there's always going to be egos and (laughs) it's interesting in marketing agencies especially that you know there are quite a lot of egos there but again i think a big part of of picking the right agency is to um make sure that you have those kind of those those sessions before you give them the contract to make sure that you are going to gel because sometimes that that recruitment slash engagement conversation that goes they call them chemistry sessions like if you in the multi-million pound pitches that they're a big part of the the whole process but certainly i've never really worked on those massive ones where we've needed much chemistry sessions but i have done them i think it's important because you need to have the right the right agency team as well so it yeah, you're always going to get that. But I think you could get that working anywhere, regardless of whether it's an agency or not. There's always going to be a, a bit of that. But again, marketing professionals rely on agencies unless you're working for huge, huge companies with massive, massive marketing departments, which is often not the case. Um, you do rely on on those really expert skills. And for, for me, I've never really thought of it as a passing over. It's always been a come and join us on this journey. Um and you know, you know, for agencies themselves, they've got to be quite happy to step back anyway, because the glory goes to the the brand, not to the agency usually. Um, so it's you know they get paid well, but it's not it's it's certainly never them that's given the credit for it. It's usually the brand that rolls something new out or does something. Yeah, great. it's inter- it's I find it it's interesting for me to consider it in terms of when I think about agencies, kind of culturally, mm. that conversation that has to have in that chemistry session or wherever that allows them to be the type of company that can buy in to Mm. someone else's idea, to someone else's values, to someone else's brand, and almost like play it like a character. We're going to play it being one of your team Mm. with everything that that requires, you know, with the passion that you have for your brand, with the passion that you have for your product. And and then at the end of it, walk away. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, often these relationships they're they're often continuous. So if mm. you know, usually you'd sign someone up on a on a journey. Again, I'm getting these like travel plugs in, but you would you would. <laughs> you the would, main aim of today's that, podcast. That's it. That's it. Um, you would. Um, yeah. Sometimes you do bring them in just for a single project, but I often find the collaboration comes across you know yeah. many years, not just a three month period. So you do get to know them. You do see them regularly and talk to them and and have those kind of tete-a-tetes that are yeah. sometimes uncomfortable but um you're a drink drink of drink of whiskey on the sofa in don draper's office a wee dram that's it absolutely <laughs> why not i love the chemistry sessions though like i've never really heard of that before like yeah. that's that's quite a cool thing if you think about i don't know if you think about kind of recruitment and even you know we work in education if you sort of bring in new teaching staff it'd be quite interesting kind of having th- the departmental kind of chemistry sessions Mm. to see do people gel and do people work together well in that department you know I can see that working outside of just marketing yeah it's a it's a big thing in casting that you'll have two of the greatest actors in the world they'll bring them into a room and they just like their vibe together won't feel right (laughs) that's a that's a good point actually chemistry auditions are are a thing yeah super important there's something that you were talking about that we've covered feels ages ago now where we were talking with a guy called Harry Cheslaw about uh, Ray Dalio, who runs a finance company in mm-hmm. the States. And this idea of putting the newest person in a room with the biggest, most established person is an interesting one for me. It feels like marketing and, and, and creative agencies are one of those places where the idea supersedes the person. Mm. And I'm just, I'm quite curious to know if when you were kind of chucked in a room to pitch to the head of one of the biggest agencies in the world, whether you felt like you were being listened to in, in, in that way? Um... I don't know. To, to be honest, it was one of those whirlwind moments where I look back and I'm like, wow, I did that. <laughs> and, you know, the, I think the dread or the, 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 so I used to love performing. So back in the, mm. so I used to pick up like my saxophone or piano or, you know, I was on a stage singing and I used to love it. So I kind of 
treated it as a bit of a performance. It was yeah. almost like that whole prep and I was getting yeah. the nerves. I was like, but this is good. It's going to like channel into great energy and good performance and stuff. So that's kind of how I viewed it. But I didn't really think of it at the time. I think, you know, young kind of wanting to impress. I was just like, yeah, I'm good. I'm ready. Yeah. I, I know what I'm talking about. I'm going to go in. And yeah, you got, I got the, you know, it. you were you were there to learn. They weren't there to rip you to, to shreds at all. It was all part of the learning experience. So I don't think I would ever have been slung out. because So there was no real pressure, but for, it was the pressure was on myself as wanting yeah. to deliver a really yeah. great kind of pitch to someone that I knew was incredible. So it was more the pressure, the pressure I put on myself rather than in the room because everyone was there to kind of G you up. And it was one of those, um, you know, everyone got a turn and we all had to kind of deliver. So... Yeah, I, I, again, I'm I'm thinking about it now, and I took it for granted. Totally yeah. took it for granted, as you do. Yeah, yeah. I could have I could have pitched my movie. He I said years after sorts, being right? in the lift with Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, kind of looking more at at you and kind of how you are within mm. those teams, then Jamie, um, and kind of your behaviours and how you lead. How, if if at all, has that changed? Um, as you've kind of gained more experience and you've been to different big companies and things like that and how do you kind of work with the people around you and and what would you say your types of kind of leadership behaviors yeah I think again as when I started my career I was the person in the team delivering good things and and you know helping to make a change and as you progress professionally you you start becoming that person that demands those things of your team um and yeah to, and I say demands in, in as in not in beating a stick, but it is in the, this is the business objective. This is what we deliver and we've signed up to deliver as a department. So, you know, th- that shift from a team member to team leader and, and you know, team manager and then ultimately um, whatever else is, is an interesting one. And I think for me, it's leader. I don't like the, the term manager. It, it comes and goes. It's like, I'd like to lead. I do like to lead. I do like to scoop people up and bring them on the journey. So any brand that I've ever worked for, even when I started at Tesco and the checkouts at 16, I was proud to work for that brand. I was part of it and I got it. And for me, whatever brand I work for, I'm passionate. And I think that passion excites people and it encourages people to get on that journey. So for me, it is about leadership. It's about kind of inspiration at the front. Um, It's about rolling your sleeves up and getting stuck in when you need to. It's about nobody's died. It's going to be okay. You know, I think, you know, this, you forget sometimes because you are so passionate, you're like, oh my God, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit this delivery or we're going to have to change this because the creative format's not quite right or whatever drama that might be happening. It's like, step back. Come on, let's take a minute. This is going to be okay. You know, I do find myself quite a, a relaxed person. Like I'm not a, I'm a smiler. I am a smiler. You know, it, you'll know that there's something up with me if I'm not. So it's, um, yeah. that's, so it's, appro- I'm approachable and I think that's always helped me. And that isn't something that I've tried to do. It's just something that I am. And I think, you know, whenever I've had 360 feedback, that's always been one of the things that I've always been told that, you know, I know that I could come to you with anything, which for me as a leader is really important because if someone's really struggling with something or if they've got a real niggle or there's something that's making them not perform or not be able to deliver or even dread coming into the office, I think it's important for people to be able to speak. So, you know, that is one of the key feedbacks that I always get and I'm proud of. Well, has that 360 feedback tool been something that has featured consistently across the your career and the companies you've worked for? Or is it something that sticks out as being really valuable or something that you've, that, that, that you've brought with you? So British Airways used to do it. So that I, I was always kind of, that's all I've ever known in terms of, you know, feedback. And some, when I first started doing it, I was like, oh, this is a drag. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. But then as you go, as you move on in your career and you, you're like, actually, these are really important things to know about yourself. And, and, and that's kind of um, self-discovery and self-belief is only going to come from your team members, the people that you work around. What's my work style? Well, your team will tell you what your style is because you do it mm. every day without even knowing. Um, Very true. Yeah. I even, we, in my, when I worked at Great Western um, Railway, my old boss Philip he was who again was one of my inspirational leaders I think he's a really really great guy um he kind of decided that we were going to do these Herman brain diagrams so go on I don't know if you've heard about it it's, it's like they basically split your brain into four quadrants to kind of understand the kind of person the person that you are so you've got creative emotional organizational and logical you get asked all these questions and ultimately you get a brain map you, you and it tells you this is your style you react to these situations and this is how you this is who you are and, and how you deliver. And it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me because I realized that there were people who I was working with on a day-to-day basis that just had a very different brain to me. So I was mm. very creative, 
and very emotional. So I was yellow and red. Yeah. And obviously your finance functions are very blue. They're very logical. Um, and to be able to, to, to go into a situation where you're talking budgets, for example, and I'm in, on going in there asking for more money, obviously. I need more budget to deliver this campaign. Um, they're like, well, logically, this doesn't make sense to me because they don't think creatively. So once I'd kind of balanced that in my head, I was like, actually, I, it's just about adapting your style and going yeah. in and, and facing it more logically. It's about, um, it's about tra- translating your version of it to their version of it because the outcome is usually the same. Absolutely. And it's about giving them the lens yeah. on that thing. And before that, I'd, yeah, I'd go in very fluffy, very creative, very kind of big picture, blue sky. This is what it's going to deliver, guys. Come along with the journey. <laughs> and they're just like, yeah, but how much is yes, it going to cost? <laughs> exactly. So ultimately, I could have gone in there and said, look, this, I need 10 million quid to deliver this. What do you reckon? <laughs> you know, that's all they really need. With, with expenses. Well, that's it, yeah. So it's... It, it, your it pa- your like... PowerPoint transitions are meaningless in this room. <laughs> yeah, it really is that case. It is really like that. So, you know, it, again, just being able to understand your own style yeah. and enable this whole understanding of how other people work as well. So it was, it was really helpful. We found it um, really interesting. We had um, Joe Keeler from uh, Belbin on um, and they do a similar thing uh, with uh, Belbin team roles. So, you know, again, it's your behaviors based on a bunch of questions. You ask other people to kind of do a report on you as well. And, and they kind of feedback and it gives you this overall result. So kind of adjusted result. Yeah. Yeah. An adjusted result. And me and Mark both done it and it, it worked out that we very much complemented each other, which is probably why we're on episode 20 odd of uh, this podcast and we haven't killed each other or, or stopped. So. <laughs> that might have also been, we've had to do it in different rooms. But. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So, so uh, th- those things, I think some people see them as very fluffy and you know in all honesty a load of nonsense some people find them you, you know that they, they yeah. just do if you if you introduce that into an organization people roll their eyes and i think you know we can take things with a pinch of salt but i think being open to them and yeah. open to looking internally is really important and secondly on the team belbin roles uh jamie i think there's points in time when your role ends within a project mm. so you know m- me and mark were really interested to to see your creative part might be here and then you might go off and go but do something else. But you are useless at the end yeah, when you need to get it delivered. Yeah. And I think it's really important to recognize that. I think any, certainly for a marketing professional, team is everything. You know, mm. that you, you aren't an expert in everything. You need people with analytical minds to do the post-campaign analysis. You need people that are really good at organizing to, to really dissect a media plan to make sure that you've got everything in shape you've got those creative people that are just there at the beginning that are like, this is the dream. This is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And then that you don't see them again. So, you know, th- th- there is absolutely a point. They're the time. worst people to proofread the poster or the press release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't give it to them. Don't give it. To them. <laughs> no, you know, they just sell the dream. They don't get into the detail. Absolutely not. Um, but, uh, but then as a, as a, you know, a manager of the marketing at an organization, it's my job to make sure that all oh, those bits are working in, in the right order that they're, they're working correctly they're working yeah. well they're working um what more can we do in this area who do i need to get to more involved here so i can understand a bit more about that and it's all cyclical so everything that you do then so that last person that works on a campaign it, it will then re- or what the work that they do at the end will feed the next campaign which starts the cycle again so it's all really important it's like it is a well-oiled machine any kind of mm. marketing campaign it's really well-oiled and there is this process and different people will step in there are people like myself that would be across everything but you know brain capacity wise i can't be in every single yeah. bit of detail and that's yeah. when you rely on your team to make sure that they know the detail for that specific portion so yeah so you've spoken about the great western railway rebrand that mm. was first great western moved into great western railway as kind of a, a one of your big projects one of your big achievements yeah I'm assuming one of your biggest challenges and how important team was for that. You kind of mentioned just as you were describing it, that it was a rebrand of something that felt quite broken. Yeah. Was that a product is a bit broken? And I think the answer might be yes, because I was reading the newspapers when the train companies have never come off great in the press. Was it, we need to rebrand this because the the product is broken and we kind of need to move on from that or like actually we're, we're misrepresented and we need a fresh start. Can you talk about that campaign and kind of how that yeah. rebrand worked? I mean, there's, it, it was a lot of things actually. Um, 
there was some historical issues with so for whatever reason british people even though we kind of invented railway and were very proud of it we love to hate it and mm. it's it's that was the kind of the chink in everyone you know and i and i get it under investment you know a lot of lot of broken trains over overcrowded get it totally get it totally get those issues and a lot of those things rail operators can't um can't change because yeah. they're given a set of keys to a railway they're given a finite amount of of train carriages yeah and the infrastructure isn't yeah, nothing to do isn't with them isn't their gig ultimately yeah. and a lot of the things were part were, were you know after years of, of mismanagement under investment blah 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 and you you know you look to french railways and spanish railways and they're like they're doing amazingly yeah but they're only 50 years old ours are like nearly 200 years old they're really yeah. old the bridges are small the train tracks are like literally got laid in the 18th century 1800s mm. so like anyway the so there were some fundamental issues with that and this was kind of coupled with um at the time there was unprecedented investment in that network so it was electrification brand new rail brand new train sets all sorts of investment right across the the network so there was this opportunity where we had a big job to do to make sure that the return on investment on all of the new train sets all of the new investment there was a, a point in time that would change the perception of rail that was the whole point of it yeah and um yeah, there were there were some historical things like fair strikes, and it just felt quite, quite a, kind of a corporate travel brand. And what we wanted to do was excite people again, and and for the love of rail, that was kind of yeah. the, our mantra for the love of the railways. Because you forget the minute you find a seat on a on a train set on a train service, and you you get sat down and you get the table out and you shoulders go down and you start you stare at the window there is that moment of like actually this is a really great way to travel yeah albeit there's a lot of anxiety before it <laughs> but once you're sat there and you're looking out the window you're just like well this is great and before wi-fi came on the trains it was a moment where you could literally be aware like you didn't even yeah. have to work you couldn't and so there was something quite romantic and nostalgic about it so all these ideas basically got put into a brief and 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 there was like yeah we're gonna do it it was a slog it was expensive and it was a slog um but the work that we did and and all the work built building up to it um we won loads of awards and um i was again i look back at it fondly just for the, the work that we did um and as a marketing person you know it is a career highlight really and what did that team look like on its day-to-day -day? kind of who who was on the ground so as in from, from the marketing bit because obviously yeah yeah a lot, yeah. A lot of, yeah so i mean i i managed the detail of it so um in terms of the campaign, the marketing campaigns, but there was an actual person brought in to make sure that all of the brand collateral was done across the entire business. So, um, and then there was my boss, Philip, who was the head of marketing at the time, and he kind of oversaw everything. And there was the, the sales and marketing director who kind of had a board level view of it. Mm. Um, and then there was lots of different people. I think the lead up to it and that kind of that, that moment of relaunch. So anything where the brand was being promoted or publicized that was me who kind of because I was I was I was marketing PR manager at the time I was that person that had to be across everything all the detail making sure that everything was where it needed to be at the right time making sure artwork was being delivered making sure the agencies were doing what they needed to do so you know I was very much in that detail um at the time and and again it was a lot but it was great and it's rewarding and I look back at it and think god i really did that so you can tell that you're in the right industry jamie like you've literally just sold being on a train to me. <laughs> <laughs> i was i was there i was in the seat i was reading my book i was looking out the window the countryside i was like <laughs> god get me on a train i, I don't I even was, work I, for them anymore i don't, I don't yeah to, exactly i, I know them. you probably get some royalties that we don't know about <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say jamie is there ever a time are there no people within marketing um is there people that will go, yeah, this, you know, I understand what you're trying to do. This, this looks like a great idea, but you know, is it actually going to work? You know, the, the, the opinion of the people and, and the general public is so bad. How are we going to turn this around? You know, what were the kind of, were there any standout huge challenges or roadblocks that you kind of had, you can remember having to kind of push through or people that maybe didn't end up on the finishing line of that project because they weren't quite in it um and how important is that when you're trying to put a, a campaign together you know i think those conversations were very much had above me and i know that both uh philip and diane who was the sales and marketing director were absolutely at that coal face making sure that mm. there wasn't any people blocking it yeah um because the research and the data and, and that's the thing every marketeer loves data because it proves things yeah if, if yeah. you've got a bit of research that you've spent a lot of time on you've spoken to people you've co-created something with with the the people that you're trying to sell it to you know 
it's really hard to argue with it. Yeah. The only thing you can argue with is the cost usually. And that's, yeah. you know, once you've proven your case, it's about, okay, how do we get this over the line? This is how much it's going to cost. And that's when the, oh, well, I'm not really sure we should do it then. And it's, it's just about making sure that you can do it in, in a manageable way. And, you know, a rebrand especially isn't um, something you would take lightly. I think, you know, it was a three-year project. It wasn't just a, a, a wit on a whim. There is a lot of things a, a brand needs to do because it's so expensive and you've got to be really clear on why you're doing it. Um, like even just like liveries for for right. carriages, like having to change the seat covers mm. in every Repaint single train, train because yeah, the yeah, so the, the hard costs yeah. of a rebrand. And there's no way, and that the cost is the cost. There isn't a way to space that out. It's a, it's a cost. So, and, and we work. We we didn't do it all at once. It was very much done. At, 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 there were points in time that we knew that trains would need to be repainted anyway. So some did have to wait. You know, there was there were there was push and pull like with any good negotiation. But I think usually as long as you, you've proven your point with research and data, it's really difficult to argue with it. And then you've just got to find out the timeline and the cost. You've described data being hugely important. And I think when in a creative industry, you're talking about decisions that a lot of the time have started with, I have a feeling in my gut mm -hmm. as a creative person that this is the direction we should go. Yeah. And having the data to back that up is supportive really useful yeah. um did you find for yourself there or since or above you moments where someone had to go to bat on that gut feeling for someone lower down the chain or for the team where you go we don't have the data we just believe this strongly or is it a case of like you were saying with the with the different types of brain we can't we can't go in with this gut we need to bring a spreadsheet because that's what they will read. Yeah. And I, I think if you were in a small business with people that were all signed up to it, you'd be able to do the gut feeling. But when you get in, in the big corporates, there's just no way. There's just no way. Sadly, I mean... No one's I, writing that check no on your gut. Oh. Nobody's writing that check, sadly. <laughs> but you do, you, but as a creative person, or you know, you do have a gut feeling. So you, you'll have seen a campaign, you'll be like, actually, there's an opportunity here. Hmm, how can we deliver this? Actually, this is how we should deliver it. And then you, you'd pitch it. You'd almost pitch yeah. it to either your boss or to 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 wherever. Um, you know, it's usually my team pitching to me now to yeah. kind of get those things uh, delivered. Yeah. So, well, not so much now, COVID, but you know, largely that would be the the thing now. But I think COVID needs a rebrand. Oh yeah, I'm over it. Yeah, yeah, let's try and make. Let's. But how do you feel better about COVID? Though I'm not really sure. A, I, I wouldn't like that job. So Jamie, obviously. Uh, spoke a lot about um, kind of on the trains. Uh, we're going to move on to the planes mm -hmm. now, um, as you nicely said kind of earlier. Automobiles later. Exactly. Yeah, waiting for you to work for Ferrari. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, um, obviously working for such an iconic brand like British Airways, um, did it feel quite cutting edge to work for them as a company, even though they are quite, you know, there's so much heritage there? Were they on the cutting edge of a lot of things or were they quite slow in, in how they in how they kind of marketed things and things like that? And were there any kind of big values and mottos and things that you would have to do as being part of British Airways that you kind of enjoyed and liked about the company? That got you on board. Feel part of it. Yeah, that got you on board, so to speak. Mark, these puns. <laughs> Jesus. I can't help professional it. Can't, you can't get away from them. You literally cannot get away from the travel <laughs> puns. You can't. So, yeah, if that made sense, Jamie. Yeah, so... Again, I just went into it as a job. Like I got, I was at university. I was like, right, this this office is around the corner from where I was living at the time, and I just need a job. I wasn't bought into it. I didn't really know who British Airways was. I knew I knew that they were a big airline. That was it. And then you kind of do get brought into this story and this heritage, and you're like, oh my gosh, these guys are these guys are at the cutting edge of what they do. Like their products. And bearing in mind, this is like, I started in, this is 15 years ago, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, they, they were at the cutting edge of what they did. They, they had products that were, that were groundbreaking. You know, the first flatbed business class seat ever. And that's now the kind of standard across every airline. You know, they did, they did that. You know, you look back to their advertising in the 80s. Everybody remembers the British Airways adverts if you're old enough. Um, they were, they were um, huge. And they're still they're still kind of remembered now by people as one of the most memorable adverts of all time, if you kind of take a poll. So they were, but I think post 9-11, the airline industry just took a huge battering. They pulled yeah. back on, um, on fund, well, there was just no money because people weren't traveling because there's just this whole knock-on effect. And they were just rebuilding up when I started. So it was four years after 9-11. 
they were just getting back on their feet. And I was, it was, we were building and building and building and then 2008 recession hit. And again, it was just like, yeah. and it's, you know, the travel industry more generally is so resilient to these things. So we've had 9-11, we had the recession, now there's COVID. It's just like, they will be fine. Everyone will be okay, hopefully. I think you come out of it a bit leaner, a bit more wise. You've got a few learning things and you've just become a little bit more focused on what you're trying to deliver. But just going back to the question, yes, British Airways had a huge, they spent a huge amount on value, the why. Why do you want to work for British Airways? And one of their values was actually British as an adjective, as a, as a kind of, just, wow. it was, it was, we do, we, we're British, we're British about it. And that's, you know, we're reticent, we're proud. We, we like to queue, you know, th- those mm. things that actually make <laughs> us really specific. They used it as, and turned it on its head and made it one of their values because there is something quite specific. But just you describing it in its specifics makes it more useful for me yeah. as a framing and, and as a lens. It becomes so helpful in understanding mm. choices. And I was, I was so bored. So, again, when I was first kind of um, involved in these worlds of brands, this was like, wow, you know, like this is this, I could be part of, of telling stories. And I say yeah. that, um, you know, I'm a storyteller. That's what I am. Like, I'd love to find those, those really key parts of a, of a brand and, and just bring them to life through creative, whether that be, you know, a, a new website or a, a social media strategy or whatever it is that we've got to deliver. But it, it is about finding those really key nuggets of what makes the brand great and turning that into the, its, its strategy. So and that's, I think there is, there is something magical for me, particularly when I experience them as true stories, because mm-hmm. there isn't, there is a, uh, I remember uh, a, the old Bill Hicks stand up routine about if you, if you, uh, if, if anybody in the audience works in marketing or advertising, uh, kill yourselves. <laughs> Savage. <laughs> he never did it, he did, never did an endorsement because he believed that taking money to promote something made everything he said suspect it made him it made him fallible because he can be bought and i think it's very different for branding because we are talking about our own values we're not being bought but it feels really important that the stories that you're telling be true stories rather than stories to to sell an idea that isn't what's there so the idea that a company like British Airways would lean in on the Britishness for what it is rather than to say, we're British, so we are world leading. And so that's not what British means to anyone. It's what yeah. people want British to mean. British means we like to queue. Yeah. It's those little foibles, isn't it? Yeah. True it's stories. Recognisable things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and they did it well. They did it really well. And, you know, I think they've had a few challenges. They do, they are, they will, and they will continue to have them, but they'll find their way. They're a, they're a great, great brand fundamentally. Mm that people love. And again, because it's a bit like the railway, people love to hate British Airways. They've got an yeah. opinion of it because they're so proud of it. They want it to be the best. So they'll nitpick at it. Again, a very British thing to do. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> yeah. Americans wouldn't. Americans like, yeah, come on. That's, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So that's true. it's a very British thing to do. But It's funny with things like these huge fleet industries like mm. the railway line or BA that the very, very fine details of branding because of our Britishness, perhaps because of the way our media likes to operate. Like we will grumble about the painting of a new line on the tail of an airplane or that we've spent however much, uh, you know, changing, changing our logo so that it's three degrees rotated because of our... Uh, desire to believe that those things are absurd or either overthought or underthought rather than mm. kind of Goldilocks just in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and so it's actually quite a, a relief for me as a, as a consumer to have that story kind of laid out for me. I don't know about you, Sean, but hearing, hearing the nature of it goes, oh, I understand that. I understand that brand more in a personal way. Definitely, yeah. And I was just going to say, you know, that storytelling and leadership, I think, go hand in hand. I mean, the amount of books and, and uh, that I've read um, on, on great leaders, um, so much of it comes back to telling that story. And like you said, Jamie, trying to get, if you take, you know, sports, for instance, is trying to get a bunch of people to do a thing because someone hmm. said that it's important to do it, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what you're doing, but just in a, in a more commercial way. Absolutely. That's absolutely it. I think once everyone is on that train or on that plane or, you know, whatever it might be, um, 
your job is done and, and you can sit back a little bit. You just got to make sure people keep coming back. But I think it's, it is a, it's a journey. You've got to bring people on it. Boom. Um, <laughs> uh, you've got to bring people along with you. And certainly in my experience, I was brought along and, and I now believe that that is the right thing to yeah. do. So, yeah. And that's, and that's, that's, that's internal culture that allows for you to feel uh, proud of your work and proud of the people you work for and mm. have, because those gut feelings, those ideas that you're having as a creative, you know, they're not abstract. They're not cold. They're not unrelated to the place that you're working for. Mm. Maybe in a way that an agency might come in and go, okay, so how do we understand this? Like you are selling the place that you work for on the face of the fact that you hate the sandwiches that they have in the canteen and everything else. Yeah. So the stories that we tell internally in the organization that remind us of what we're about, all of those aspects become fundamentally important. And that you're right, Sean, is the job of leaders and, and yeah, separating that from managers where managers are about making sure the job is delivered potentially. And leaders is about making sure that everyone wants to be doing this job. And gets it. 100%. Gets why they're doing it. So obviously, I think it would be remiss for us to not kind of talk about uh, sort of how you've been able to be agile during the kind of, you know, COVID pandemic, mm. especially mm. working for obviously, you know, a travel company. Um, could you just touch on kind of how you have managed to work uh, over the last kind of six months and, and what that's looked like with regards to the team and, yeah. and mm. just how you've led. God, I mean, where do you even start? So yeah, travel has obviously completely dropped off. Um, so Devis Travel, who I work for right now, we are a specialist um, business travel consultancy. So we specialize in humanitarian and academic travel. So the likes of Save the Children, Salvation yeah. Army, Comet Relief, they book all of their travel through us. Yeah. We we get the best rates for them because they're charities and, and they go and do what they need to do. And it's the same for, for universities and academic institutions, so LSE and whoever else. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. nice. yeah, so we, that's that's kind of our specialty. So obviously everyone's now working from home. Nobody's traveling, borders are closed. Um, so, we, we, you know, we're not booking in spades if we're not leisure, but... We, you know, the, the, the fundamental issues are still there. So a person cannot get from the UK into certain places in Africa to deliver the humanitarian missions because the borders are closed. So yeah, yeah we've seen a huge um, kind of drop in revenue, of course. But we went to agile working very quickly. We went to 100% homeworking. The teams were dispersed everywhere. We rely on all the tools that everyone else relies on now. And then, you know, we had to furlough most of the business mm. because there just wasn't a demand to have people there. And, you know, for me, it was like, how do I keep the team motivated? How can I go with positive yeah. messaging or keep that passion there? Because actually the the backdrop every single day is doom and gloom and it is hard mm. as, a, as a leader. And I think, again, you've just got to believe that it's going to, it's going to be okay. And because we don't have anything else, we don't, we don't have, and again, this is my exactly. positive, this is my positive outlook. I'm like, it's rubbish right now, but it is going to be okay. Mm. Like that's, there's no point pretending it's not great right now. Um, yeah. But and there's a, there's a hard. huge amount of positive psychology that speaks directly to that, that there's not a single person on the planet who, well, except maybe Jeff Bezos, who's going, uh, this is the best time of my life. <laughs> yeah. But framing our thoughts for the potential of, of, of good things, or there are some positives, or there are ways that I can keep my spirits up. Yeah. and myself motivated like that's that's active practice we need to kind of do that rather than mm. just take it for granted and you know it, i find it easy to do it for the people so i'm in the same situation you know i i i i wasn't furloughed so i was kind of part of this skeleton team that was kept on to just make sure things ticked over and i've been doing all sorts of different things with my job mm. i'm doing graphic design now i'm doing social media posts i've yeah. not done that for years <laughs> so you yeah. know it, you do take it for granted and, and i'm now kind of back at the coal face making sure stuff's done you're now. an influencer i'm an influencer again oh my god uh <laughs> never been an influencer um <laughs> uh, so you you, you do it's kind of, from from a personal learning perspective, I'm like, well, actually, I'm now doing everything. I'm doing what my team used to do, you know, all the time. And you do forget sometimes all of those things that you that they went through on their day to day basis. So you, you kind of take a step back and think how lucky I've, I am to have such a great team around me. Um, and then when I flip it towards them, it's like, you know, if they were feeling a bit down or they were feeling a bit like, oh, any news about when we might be coming back 
to the office or blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's hard, but it is just that concept. Everyone's in the same position right now. We will, we will get you back as soon as we possibly can um, and try and spin it. But there's, again, there's not a lot of spin you can put on this situation. It's just about trying to carve that positive outlook and that mantra. Yeah. And, and, you know, looking at tools that, that you can uh, implement just to make people feel better, like upskilling or, onla- you know, online courses, upskilling, that kind of thing, yeah. exercise, yeah. all of those wellness and well-being things. Actually, as a business, Diverse Travel has been really invested in wellness before um, before kind of COVID hit. And we were, we were on a process. We just started um, working with Mind and they'd come in and, they, and we had like... Me- we had well-being first aiders rather yeah. than you know actual physical first yeah. aiders, and and it was a very much core part of our of our um, organization. So some of those things I learned in the training has really have really helped me yeah. through this bit as well to 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 kind of keep people's spirits up. But it is hard, of course it is. There's no point sitting here saying, yeah, it's been totally fine. I've been able to deliver really great team spirit during this time because people are you know sad and worried and angry and whatever other kind of emotional turmoil might come. Again, well. it so wouldn't 100%. be a true story. Yeah. It wouldn't be the, yeah. the true story of this. And I think it's interesting how you've described, and I think organizations are probably finding this left, right and center, that those that have put the work in culturally before any of this happened about how they allow their staff to feel valued and how they allow uh, their, you know, how easy it is to communicate and how... Uh, supported they feel as staff through the good times through the you know their normal day they're the ones who are going to find that their teams stay intact through this period of time and unfortunately those that haven't you know will witness that there is a genuine kind of human cost mental health or well-being wise that means they won't get their their staff members back or they you know their their staff turnover will go up or or whatever and a lot of that comes down to those those companies that have committed to valuing their staff and protecting them through things like uh decent feedback uh and and structures and and committing to like legitimate staff well-being rather than just you know yeah. 30% off at the local gym yeah i think i think you know, the, the the board at Diversity Travel, they kind of took the, the mindset, we'd rather allow more people to work um, and be part of, of it than than keep people on furlough. So we all, as a business, took, we, we, we basically reduced our outworking week, so which would enable more people to stay employed and um, work. So that's ultimately how it's going. And, and you know, the, the board are very much of that mindset that we would rather have a lot more more people still employed than have to make people redundant. So, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? I can't, I haven't got a crystal ball, but certainly that was the mantra was just about, we're all going to share this pain rather than it just being on some specific people. Yeah. This is, this is a social, this is a social issue, not, not something that has to be, have its load borne by, uh, by a certain strata of, of society uh please government listen to that statement yeah <laughs> yeah the government are definitely listening to this yeah. no Iron podcast um <laughs> uh i was i was gonna say um jamie when you when you speak about kind of going back to you know being a man of many hats so to speak you know i saw the practical the practical example of that with your video uh amsterdam video where yeah. you kind of took us through the kind of getting back into travel and mm. that it was safe to get on a plane and that you know how you would go through that process yeah i think it was really clever um you know seeing that on your linkedin and, and that your company put that out there yeah. and obviously you were you know front facing in that so yeah. was that quite an enjoyable thing to be part of and to feel like you know maybe there is some normality coming back i think so you know that was done we it was just a bit of a t- we were on a, a call and it was like it'd be great if we could just show people that it's actually okay you know there are a few changes and so my boss steve was like well off you go then so i was like <laughs> <What>? <laughs> so yeah that literally was the reason i went so yeah it, it was it was just to give people a view because again people that are used to traveling every single week they've just not been doing it and yeah. they're a bit they are nervous they are yeah. dubious most of the feedback is uh, we've done surveys we did um, we posted a 
a, a kind of we did a, a snapshot of how people are feeling and certainly in the travel industry uh, business travel industry about how covid's making them feel and think about travel in the future and when they might think it will come back and it was they're nervous they know yeah. that they've got to travel again for work but they're nervous about it so that the whole point of doing it was just to give a little bit of reassurance that yes things are different um but actually it's okay so yeah i did I, I i again put in my video editing skills my small video editing skills again i'm not a video editor but i did cobble it together and i posted it on linkedin and it was it's actually been our most shared bit of content our most engaging bit of content so i'm really happy with it um albeit a little bit rusty around the edges but yeah it's it's um it works out well and you know i did try and and just make the most of it mm. mate we, i thought it was great and we'll definitely put that in the show notes um yeah i think it was a really cool piece of agile kind of marketing uh you know so that was that was awesome for well, me and and, and and like it, when you have content that isn't just content like it's 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 been thought about what is needed in this mm. moment and how do i how do i offer reassurance rather than just tell people how to you know book a ticket and that was the content that we were seeing so we were seeing like airlines just putting a checklist of things that you might expect mm. it's like a checklist is one thing actually seeing it in person is another and experiencing it so yeah. that was absolutely the point of doing it it's yeah. giving them a real view of actually what it's like to be on a plane again going through an airport so jamie we always say to our guests that uh, coaches make coaches so has there been anyone that's been kind of influential to you uh, in your career kind of pathway um, that has kind of made you behave in a certain way now as 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 a leader or made you think about how you work within a team um, anyone that's been inspiring and you know also sometimes guests say I've seen things that I don't like and I've learned from from that kind of leadership as well so yeah is there anyone that you can kind of shout out so to speak yeah of course I mean that's, I touched on it earlier my old um, boss at Great Western Railway Philip Edgerton he absolutely has kind of inspired me to to be a different kind of leader you know he was um in good and bad ways as well sometimes you know he he was one of those yellow brains so very creative still is um he has a, his own business um branding consultancy now so that's what he does but um yeah he was just that blue sky just get it done this is what we should do it's going to be incredible and i was the one that's like thinking oh my god okay um how do we how do, how do we do this then because he had this vision and i and, and i kind of had to translate it into action so um, you know, I do, I do kind of get, and he's a friend now, he's a great friend actually. So I, I do kind of look fondly on the times that we spent together because I learned a lot from him. He again, had no formal marketing qualification. He just grafted and, 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 and really honed his trade and was really good at it. Uh, and now he's doing really incredible things, um, himself. So I, I do, I kind of look at him and, and, and think about how, how he would do it. And we still discuss work all the time. And I'm like, what do you think, Philip, actually? What do you think about this? And he, he'll give me an opinion. But um, yeah, he, that was a point in time when I was kind of middle management. I was, I got brought into Great Western just after the recession. So the marketing team was just me and him and our director. And it was about how do you turn this around? So it was yeah. a really great opportunity. And we grew across the, the kind of six years we worked together. I know he'll listen. I'll give him the link. He'll give it a listen. So. <laughs> Big up, Philip. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, Mark, I think uh, lastly... Yeah, is there is... is there anything you want to plug? Obviously, we'll put the uh, Amsterdam vid in there. I think I feel like I have to put uh, a copy of the that British Airways advert with the flower duet in it that is that, that flashed into there. my brain as soon as you said it so that everyone knows what they were doing in the 90s um, but is there anything you would like to plug either for diversity or for yourself uh, point yeah, to people think, towards I, I, yeah I think you know go and check out diversity travel on LinkedIn it's you know we are specialists so we're not going to be for everybody in terms of what you need from a business but if you have got business travel requirements and you're a humanitarian or a, an academic um, you know institution like you guys, uh, then do, do, do check yeah. us out. Um, that, that's our specialty. And, you know, we have been trying to share as much content as we possibly can, albeit it's hard because things change so quickly. So content goes out of date really, really quickly mm. um, when it comes to airline and travel. But um, yeah, I, I, did, I didn't really come on here to plug at all. Just maybe myself, go check me out on LinkedIn. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Well, we do, we do it every week. So we'll add, add your name to the bottom of the LinkedIn, LinkedIn list of heroes right there. Uh, Jamie, it's been an absolute pleasure. We've we've yammered on like like second cup of tea lengths of uh, conversation. <laughs> it's been told, yeah. <laughs> uh, been yeah been hugely inspiring. 
Um, oh, thank you. Just in terms of getting that perspective on how a person can feel about brand, and and like I think that it's un, it's underestimated just how important our relationship to those stories ends up being, and yet YouTube is chock full of like remember this old advert from the 80s you know because of how connected we feel how our identity and our personal history is to that so uh it's i'd i don't know i'm i'm it 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 makes me feel really heartwarmed to know that they're being kind of made with love uh which is what i i got out of this chat but also how those groups work together uh to tell those stories is fascinating for me uh, really appreciate you coming on. Great. Thank you for having me. Jamie, thank you so much. That was awesome. Cheers, Jamie. Jamie there. We didn't really mention it in the... the uh, episode but you've known Jamie for a little while yeah yeah I've known Jamie for a while um he's now uh, not in London um so a bit bit harder to kind of meet up um but I've always known that he's been super career driven and has always you know worked for for huge brands and and I thought he'd be awesome for the podcast and I think that has turned out that way because that was a great episode it's so funny and I mentioned it right at the beginning of our chat that he kind of plays down some of the stuff and the people that he's worked for and with and done and like his cv is immense it's awesome like really awesome cv you know and i think that only happens if you're good at your job and that and, and if you graft uh, and he certainly does both of those things and throw the positivity out there like he like his sense of being on board or being uh motivated kind of internally to to do good stuff and to be involved in good stuff like sometimes we work with unmotivated people and you watch as things don't happen for them because they're not out there looking for it or pushing towards it it's a vicious circle it's a vicious circle if you you know if you're negative about a thing that's happened uh within your career or your workplace uh sometimes you know that can then be kind of projected it you to outwards. expect negativity moving forwards and you don't see the opportunities exactly and listen like we're all going to have setbacks uh in in our careers um and just in life generally and i think if we can have that kind of built-up resilience which you spoke about with Gemma a couple of episodes ago you know when you have that built-up resilience it can really help you to still find the yeah. positives and take a dent work. reset come in Go, yeah going to work and, and still be able to come with that positivity it's it's not always easy um and obviously Jamie you know is probably in the same boat as us especially in this kind of COVID times where things are tough and internally he's probably having to fight hard to to self-motivate but um you know he's he's doing an awesome job um gave us a real insight into the world of marketing which a lot of people do see as fluffy and I mentioned yeah it was lo- it was lovely um, but you know what actually goes into campaigns and, and the end product is what we see around us all the time which you know then leads us to influence us to go buy products that we buy use the train lines that we use you know so hugely yeah. important in, in society and i think about i think about the like sports kits and sports branding i know people who never wear a particular like will only wear a particular sports brand it at, for their for their you know training or just their going out wear and it's because of the way that brand has sold identity to them like who they they feel like that's them 100%. and it means that they're only going to wear Nike and not Adidas or the other way around absolutely because you know they've they've been given a story which we spoke about in the episode and they're on board with that story and not someone else's um and that is really fascinating when you think about it you know huge amounts of psychology going into that as well um but yeah no i really enjoyed that episode yeah well it is half term ladies and gentlemen so we are going to be setting up hammocks in our living rooms and uh, drinking our tea from coconuts with straws Pina coladas for, for a week <laughs> Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna finish up now but uh, 
obviously slightly different one this week and it just goes to show we can like we can start a conversation somewhere and go all over the place uh if you liked it please do rate it in itunes or google podcasts uh, or wherever you listen and if you want to suggest someone or suggest yourself uh, you can hit us up on social media at no i podcast or linkedin the links are in the show notes and uh, email us mark or sean at no i podcast dot show i have earned myself a long nap same with sean so the last thing that's left is for uh, me to say goodbye from sean goodbye guys and goodbye from me goodbye you must be like the wolf pack teamwork yes <laughs>